0: Some of you have asked how you can help us, while most of us would say we want wine. (laughs) Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs the moolah. You can donate through Patreon or GoFundMe by heading to italianwinepodcast.com. We would appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Italian holiday here, some another religious holiday. So everyone's at home. There's nobody at the office. So we're going to be doing a bit of no frills, uh, type of ambassador's corner today. Welcome to the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse, and this is our. How many episodes have we done so far, like Oh
3: uh-huh. God. Check that again. <laughs> I, I can't, I lost track. Um, I'll get back to you, Stevie. I'll just open the Yeah, box. <laughs> definitely
2: more than a year we've been doing, right? Yes, so yes, definitely. I think like the 60th or something yeah, like actually, that.
3: Yeah, I guess it's it's something uh, like 70 something.
2: <laughs> I think Joy wants to say something.
3: Hey, Joy, Hi.
0: hello. I just, um, I just scheduled the 69th. That's oh good. So, 72, so it must right.
3: be like 70. Okay.
2: By the way, folks. Um, of course, Joy, uh, the one with this is Avatar. That's when she was dancing on top of my desk in my office. That's Joy Livingston, and that is, of course, our producer for the Italian Wine Podcast. As you know, we replay all of our uh, interviews or calls on the Italian Wine Podcast, which will be scheduled usually on Thursdays. And we've we've had more than three million listens so far this year. So crazy, crazy! Um, thank you very much, all of you, for joining us. And I think uh, we will be closing up. Are we still producing? What is the schedule now? Like, uh, what are we doing? How many more uh, calls do we have in in the month of December?
3: Okay, so we still have three. So we've got Valentina. Uh, Severinova with Simone Forti on the thirteenth of December. We also have on the sixteenth and the twentieth and the.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, and then, but the pods are still scheduled every Thursday, and they are the most popular pods. Although it's, uh, you know, when I first started doing this, we used to do it for about fifteen minutes because I didn't think the attention span would be, uh, mm-hmm. so generous. But then. We do here 60 minutes from um, beginning to end with our Italian wine ambassador. So today our Italian wine ambassador, of course, is Matt Paiche. Mm-hmm. Hey, Matt. <laughs> How do you say your name? I always forget.
4: Italians can say Paiche, but it's Pace.
2: Pace. Okay.
4: How are you, Matt? Uh, well, uh, super busy today. Today is probably the busiest day of the year for restaurants in the U.K., um, oh, why?
2: Why is that? Not, um, not like just leading up to the holidays today. Uh,
4: next next week, we are beset by more rail strikes. So oh. that's taking uh, uh, tens of thousands of pounds of margin on off, off our business. Uh, yeah, it's uh, horrendous. And then the final week before Christmas, no one's But is leave, that so. definitive? Has that been? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all the big groups have cancelled their bookings. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. Oh, that's Um, a nightmare. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a busy day today.
2: Well, thank you for joining us, Matt. Matt, listen, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. I know you are, of course, in the hospitality business and you have become our, you are acclimated as the Italian Wine Ambassador just this July, the London edition. But tell us a little bit about your connectivity um, with the Italian Wine business.
4: Uh so I'm operations director for um a group of uh Italian restaurants in uh London, the city of London, which is like the financial district. They're called Enoteca da Luca. They're not really Enotecas because no one in the UK knows what an Enoteca is. Um <laughs> they're kind of they're like they're like a hybrid kind of wine bar um restaurant type thing. And all our all our customers are kind of city professionals. Um yeah, it's kind of independently owned. Been going for about ten years. Very very successful. Very nice business. Eight about eighty percent of the list is Italian. Lots and lots of Sangiovese on the list. Uh, uh, thanks to me, lots of Nebbiolo as well. Um, yeah, uh, and I operations director means um, I, I'm in charge of like the wine training, but also I I make the trains run on time. Like uh, just the day to day managing the general managers and all, all that sort of thing. It's so amazing. what Sometimes kind of
2: First of all, um, are there more than one enoteca?
4: Three. We've got three.
2: Oh, and and they're all in central London.
4: Yeah, they're all within ten minutes' walk between each other.
2: Oh my goodness! So it's it's a
4: cluster basically. Yeah,
2: exactly. Listen. So, what kind of wine training do you do exactly?
4: Funny, I just done. I mean, I do kind of ad hoc training, kind of on the by the glass stuff. Once a year, we do all of the. I go through all of the premium wines, and we all taste them together front house. And then I've just done an internal course, like six hours for, we had about seven members of staff. And, you know, for us, WCT level two is is too broad because we don't need them to know about Californian wine or South African wine. We need them to know about European wines, specifically really Italian and French. So I kind of designed a course that, uh, you know, involved some bit of theory and also some tasting of French stuff because if you're used to serving Italian wine, if you're Italian, you don't really know what a low-acidity wine, white wine tastes like.
2: No, you, uh, don't.
4: Uh, you, you just don't. I was in
2: Etna them. yesterday. No, not at all.
4: <laughs> yeah, and you don't really know what syrup tastes like either, uh, right. and you've got a bit of a view on what, but you know, and so all these reasons. Actually, there fine.
2: is a big syrup production in Italy, but nobody's heard of it, so it's fine.
4: Yeah, and the whole kind of bacon and cloves thing that you get in the Northern Rhone, they're not familiar with. So, yeah, it's a bit of tasting and then a kind of different theory and getting them to hopefully understand a little bit what how a winemaker, wine producer might think. So, okay. yeah, so that's kind of t- different bits of training that I do.
2: So, you know, I don't know if you know, but in the past, a um, few months ago, we had uh, Michael Markarian. He's your fellow Italian wine ambassador. And he yep. interviewed Sebastiano Castiglioni. Um oh, right. Yeah. So it, actually, I think it's the episode here I have from Regia, episode 928. And Sebastiano uh, for Cosia Castiglioni, that's his full name. He's the, not just the principal, but he is an animal activist and, um, incredibly um, passionate about you know vegan rights, and um, his focus is also to he knows everything about vegan based food. It's it's pretty interesting episode for for our audience if they want to get a hold of that. And his big thing is like plant based lifestyle. That's his motto. So um, everyone should check that out. But getting back to the show today, you are interviewing Manfred. Ing today. And he's the yeah. winemaker?
4: Yes, he is. I can see he's on the call. I know he's he's very shy and retiring. I'm sure he's going to step forward in just okay. a moment. Here we go. <laughs> good evening, hey good evening, everyone.
2: Hey <laughs> Manfred. Listen, so Matt, why did you choose Manfred Ing to uh be on the call today?
4: Well, um uh, I'm oh, I was already a fan of Quarchabella um, but then I participated in a thing that the Chianti Classico Consorzio did, looking for a, their, to appoint their first UK ambassador, mm-hmm. which is a thing, that, thing they did earlier this year. So are you
2: I, the ambassador for UK? You no,
4: know, I am not the ambassador. However... <laughs> I was down to the final six, and there's uh-huh. a, a consolation prize for not getting the silver ribbon. Right. Uh, they took, the consortium took us all out to Chianti Classico just a couple of weeks ago, uh, and me and Manfred and the others had dinner in Enoteca Baldi in Panzano, which I highly recommend if you're taking a trip to Chianti Classico. It's a wonderful place. Right. Um, brilliant wine list. Which we didn't touch because Manfred brought lots and lots of fantastic bottles of Quajabella, including the current range and also some lovely past vintages as well. So we were talking over dinner and uh, I naturally said, Stevie Kim has a podcast, you know, maybe we can help her make up the numbers.
2: Oh, fantastic. And... Um... You know, we're a little bit geeky here. The, uh, this bit, you know, this series is the Ambassador's Corner, far side Chat. Um, so what are kind of the learning objectives that we should expect from you today on this call?
4: Yeah. So, you know, Manfred, will talk about Manfred's career in a minute, but he's been the winemaker at Quachabella for over a decade. Um, you know, this is a fascinating region in terms of, uh, i would say uh the two or three things one of them is the regional specificity you know terroir uh you know they recently introduced back in 2014 the grand selezioni character uh category uh, the ugas they call them ugas which are just yeah, like terrible M- uga M- yeah. M-GAs in barolo meaning you know trying to move and f- closer and closer towards site specific chianti classico so that would definitely be one thing to talk to Manfred about is kind of learning about, you know, the different named named villages, the Ughurs. Uh And the second thing is really about, uh, I would guess, is about learning about, you know, how, how you deal with Sangiovese and Chianti Classico, because it's notably different to Brunello or Maremma, you know, what, what makes a Chianti Classico a Chianti Classico? Um, okay. so those are probably and i guess maybe you know talking about grand seleccione you know, what's the future of that category they've introduced this new aside from the regional specific specificity you know they've introduced this new premium category quajabella have just come on the market with a top one you know so i want to hear a bit about that, that yeah grand i have Select. a feeling this
2: yeah. is going to be kind of the geeky um series geeky bit i see a shout out to our fellow ambassadors um Valentina, Kevin, Andrea, Julie, Jody, Matsya, the office people are gone today. But listen, this is where I get to sign off. And um, I'll come back towards the end and to see if there are any additional, we have time for a question. So over to you, Matt and Manfred. This is where I get oh, to yeah. shut up. <laughs> Believe it or oh, not, God. rarely happens. So you should take full advantage of this situation.
4: I, I certainly will. If I could mute you with a button. I, I No, would. I yeah, um, I'll do that myself. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay manfred you're dialing in from a yoga studio somewhere in tuscany i believe
1: yes kind of it's uh today like like stevie mentioned it's a public holiday for us in italy so another another religious holiday that i i can't remember but yeah <laughs> away from the winery today so nice 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 lovely lunch actually stevie uh, we had lunch at emily O'Hare's, and uh she sends her regards i know that you guys are have worked together in the past and and we were at Intertecabaldi when Matt was forced to sit in front of me and uh, Emily worked <laughs> there also in her, in her spare time. So, yeah, she sends her regards.
4: Oh, amazing. Um, before we get, you know, I've got a few kind of questions talking about the, you know, the, the winery and, and the region. But can you tell us briefly about how you came to be at Quadrabella?
1: Yeah, kind of. Um, as you can hear from my accent, I'm I'm not from. Uh, I don't have the typical uh, grevijana accent as expected in in uh, Chianti. Um, I'm born and raised in South Africa. Studied at uh, the, at Stellenbosch University, and um, kind of from from the beginning of my, my once the the winemaking bug bit, I kind of set out traveling around the world and 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 doing working harvest like in as a as a winemaker you, you 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 can do these internships you work a harvest um in the summertime so i was doing north southern hemisphere summer northern hemisphere summer bouncing around the world uh, stellenbosch new zealand um napa valley back to stellenbosch uh, central targo worked up in barolo and yeah kind of Made my way around the world, trying my best to, to put myself in the right situation, work with some of the the best, most knowledgeable winemakers, uh, making fine wine, large volumes, small volumes, just get out there and, and enjoy myself, really. And ended up living full-time in New Zealand for, for nearly two years in central Togo. And then realized New Zealand <laughs> is the other side of the world. Literally, no one comes to visit you in New Zealand. So... Um, <laughs> made my way back to, to, to this part of the world and um, um, got an incredible opportunity to work um, in Barolo again uh, for my second vintage at uh, Vieti with uh, Luca Curado And mm-hmm. um, myself and Luca, we got on really well. And at the end of Harvest, we came down through Tuscany when uh, Luca was doing a bit of consulting work in uh, Cortona, making beautiful Syrah, as you touched on earlier um, in the conversation. And, um, yeah, we're on our way back up to Pimonte. We stopped off in the Chianti Classico in, at uh for a day or two here with the the team. And, um, yeah, long story short, it's on my way home from here, I was asked by the owner, by Sebastiano, to to join the team. And <laughs> a decade later, I've literally sunk roots. I'm well and happy here at Guarciabella now, responsible for all aspects of production from from the moment the grapes start to turn sweet until until we put the wine in the bottle, so yeah it's been a it's been a roller coaster. I've had to learn uh, my fourth language or third or fourth language or whatever it is, but it's been yeah it's been fun
4: excellent I, one thing I saw from your bio is that kind of when you went to Coachachaba when you interviewed, they got you into i guess as part of the sort of getting to know you interview process they got you in you you said it was a technical tasting yeah. What what does that mean? You mean they were like, tell us roughly how many grams of volatile acidity are in this wine? I mean, what's the technical tasting?
1: No, I I was, I was, um, I was literally invited to the winery to, 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 if you've been to Croucho we have a big, we have a tasting room with a big table and, um, there the 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 winery team um had samples of all of the the parcels of wine in the winery which would have been like the 2007 2008 2009 wines um that they they were there and we just we we spent the day just tasting wines together talking about wines that have been bottled uh wines to be bottled um wines to be blended and um i was very open and honest and um and provided insights um, to certain aspects of the wine, certain characteristics, and we were, were being whatever the word is, critical but honest. And and we tasted through the wines, and um, I think that the the Canty Classico at the time there was there was a lot of there was a lot of change happening. It's before the Grand Selezione that you spoke about, but it's definitely the the mid 2000s, the the, the so 2004, five, six, seven, 8, There was there was a big movement to improve wine quality in the County Classico and i think we are still improving right across the County Classico 15 16 17 years later and and i think sebastiano was hoping to for that to to occur also at quercibella and some of the single vineyard projects which we'll speak about in through this conversation but yeah there was there was an opportunity for some Someone with um open mind who'd worked around the world. I'd had experience making whatever great cabernet in Napa Valley, in South Africa, um, Nebbiolo, Pinot ne- Pinot Noir, whatever, and just something a bit of
4: breath of fresh air into the winery. And mm. I don't know, right right place, right time kind of situation. Lovely, yeah. I mean, one of the things that struck me from the the visit a few weeks ago was. How much County Classico is kind of has been in flux for it, <laughs> it feels like thirty years. It's still a region that's kind of on the way to where it wants to be. It, compared to, I would say, Barola, which is much more settled in terms of we know what we're doing, we know where the appellation's going, we know what the wines. Do you Would you agree with that? You think it, it's still? I would say. I guess you're saying it even now, fifteen years after that that tasting. It's still a region that is changing.
1: Hundred percent for sure, and and it's something that I've even noticed in my time here. Like I'm only here for now is uh, going on my my thirteenth year, but even when I arrived in 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 the Canti Classico, we have the Canti Classico Collection, which is an amazing wine tasting. It's in February, it's the Antiprima, all the producers. they we bring the wines to the the old original station in Florence. And there's, you, you see these photos on social media of the hundreds of bottles all lined up there and all the rest, and everyone comes from all around the world to taste. When I arrived here at those tastings, you go around the room and you taste many producers. I can be honest and say that there were a number of faulty wines. There were wines that had technical problems. There were stinky wines. There were whatever, fa- faulty wines. In the last two or three years, I have not found a single faulted wine. Canti Classico, the quality is is improving. It, it, it's it's in, it's incredible, and and it's it's uh, the the consortium doesn't get enough credit for this. The marketing around the world, the fact that you you can't just put a bottle of wine and just write uh, Tuscany on it or Made in Italy or cantic Classico or the Black Rooster. The quality needs to be there, and and I think right across the valley from where I'm sitting now, it's dark, but I can still kind of see the lights in Panzano. They're right across the valley. The quality is improving and, and I think it's something that's it's really, really good for us in the Canti
4: Classico. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Brilliant. Um okay, let's talk a bit about Quetchabella itself. So you know, um like a lot of uh, wineries in Canti Classico is relatively new since the early seventies. Tell us a little bit, please, about the history of the state. Uh, how big is it, what's the ownership?
1: Okay, sure. So so um we we're Like uh, that's really impressive that you say we're new. We're we're like new kids on the block because in Tuscany, some families have been making wine years for like a 900 years or whatever. So relatively new. Um, The the family who who still own the winery now. Sebastiano is the son. um, They they came down from Milano in the in the 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 early 70s, uh, which was a very important transitional time in. In Tuscany and also in the Chianti Classico, um, wh- when they came down here, there was this this new movement of of the, which today we call Super Tuscans, but at the time there wasn't a word for it. There was a quality-driven approach to winemaking. Many people at the time, and for many years, even still today, they think of the Chianti Classico. They don't even think of Chianti Classico, they think of the Chianti. They think of the... The fiasco, the 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 bottle with the straw that you stick the candle on in the restaurant, and in the the late 60s, early 70s, that was the problem. Mass-produced wine all over, um, but there were these pioneering producers who were producing these higher quality wines that were at the time were vino da tavola. They were outside of the designated regions, and uh, the Castelloni family they, they saw this opportunity to get into to, in Tuscany to get involved to produce a wine of this quality, of this style, high-quality wine. There are big wine collectors drinking the greatest Bordeaux, greatest Burgundy that you could ever imagine, and they wanted to get involved. So Quartabella was acquired. Uh, we, uh, in 1974, we had uh, two hectares um, on the hillside of Ruffoli, uh, where the winery was is situated today. Um, so very, very, very small today we now have uh, more than 50 hectares in the Canti Classico region across um, different villages different um, sub zones different Ugas and and we also have in the in the southern Tuscan coastline we have uh, 31 hectares so in the Kianti, in Tuscany I mean it's medium to small size but yeah. um, the, the most important thing is our goal of getting involved in the Chianti Classico was to produce wines of super quality, like the Camartina that we'll speak about later.
4: Yeah, so you've, in a way, you kind of reversed into Chianti Classico because you started effectively as being, like you said, super Tuscan producers. Maybe before there was, is is that right? Before your like your Chianti Classico Annata came after Camartina and Palafreno.
1: It came it came the the next vintage basically i mean we're oh, okay. in the the late, the late seven, the 78 79 was chianti classico under a different label and then we've got the 80 the 81 the first vintage of camartina is 1981 obviously the family knew that you want to make wine around here you've got the rooster is the chianti classico so the chianti classico the chianti classico reserve but the goal was always to produce something of exceptional quality like a uh, at the time, there was the Sassicaia, there was the, the, the those pioneers of the, the, the revolution that was happening.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the other thing that I know is big for Gibella and, and also just huge for Chianti Classico generally. It was amazing seeing all these winemakers, everybody talking about organic and sustainable. Uh, I think 90% of producers in Panzano are, 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 um, are organic. Tell us about the importance of that to, to you and to Bella.
1: Absolutely. So, like for us, for organics it, it, it's like a way of living. Like it's, um, I mean, Sebastiano, um, who you've had on on, on your podcast, um, he he basically introduced the concept of organic production before it was called organic winemaking, or organic grape growing, or whatever. Like we're talking in 1988, 1999. So it definitely wasn't. Fashionable. It wasn't marketable. It wasn't. It was. It. It was. It was him identifying that we are doing so many things wrong, and we needed to improve the way that we we're doing in the vineyard. And for us, it's. It's. We are certified organic since the European certification is around. But it's a way of living. Uh, the Canty Classical region, I believe, now is there is more than fifty-two or fifty-three percent of Canty Classical producers are certified organic. And, and uh, the way the current trend is going in the next three years, because when you want to convert to um, organics, there's like a two- or three-year um, conversion process. In the next two or three years, at the current rate that we're going, more than 70% of the entire Canticlassical is going to be certified organic, which is wow. spectacular. It's unbelievable. Like when we when Krechabella did it back in the day, there, many people frowned upon it. They couldn't believe it. I believe even Sebastiano's late father was like, he, he was against it. He couldn't believe it. He, Sebastiano, I believe, like even went behind his father's back for two oh. years. Gracciabella was doing organics and then he went to his father and said, we, sh- we should be doing this. He said, "No, it's impossible. We'll never do it. Sangiovese will rot. It's susceptible to mildew. It can't be done. How could you imagine doing it? And he said, well, we've been doing it for two years and look at the wines are amazing. So it's more a case of like, uh, 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 less is more and, and we speak about it a lot Like if Everyone thinks that we should be doing more You need to be adding more Spraying more Doing more But in actual fact If you can be more precise Pay more attention to detail Respect nature Respect what you're spraying on the vines Which is ruining it for the future generations Pay a bit more attention to that And the rest is easy man Yeah, It's, it's not easy Organic winemaking Organic grape growing is not easy The costs are higher but, but for us, it's not about that. It's, it's not about, it, it, it's about leaving the vineyards in a better place that we found them for generations to come and producing mm. world-class wines. That's it.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think organic has a great deal of value as, as a marketing tool. Um, my experience is that the only customers who ask for organic wines are mad people. Um, but it certainly is having an effect on the juice which is the most important thing. So a customer might not know or care that it's organic, but they're going to be tasting it whether they know it, whether they know it or not. Uh and I noticed as well if there's a fair few people doing biodynamic um and I think um Fontodia one but without going the full you know lunar nutty burying a cowhorn at the end of the vineyard row. Do you do any biodynamic stuff or is that um it's a question
1: was practicing how you how we call like a traditional biodynamics from two thousand until two thousand and ten. So, the cow horn, the manure, um, following the moon phases, etc. But Sebastiano has always been a very very pragmatic, a very practical approach to that. And um, as Stevie touched on earlier, um, Sebastiano, for those who don't know, is is a visionary. He he sees life through different eyes than we do. He's an animal rights activist. He's uh, sits on the board of Sea Shepherd. He's he's uh, a, a a vegan uh, like almost like a vegan venture capitalist. He invests in vegan startups all around. He's a vegan. And in 2010, um, we we decided. He he decided at Quattro that we were going to eliminate all, eliminate all animal. Uh, products of in any aspect of the production. So any any of the manures, obviously the manure oh, and the cow horn. So um, completely green approach. So in the winery, I mean, a lot of consumers around the world, I mean, us wine geeks, we know, but people around the world don't know that white wine has got gelatine from the bloody, from cow horns and ears mm. and noses. It's got um, the egg whites. It's got um, the mm. casein. So eliminating all of that in the winery for, as a finding agent is one thing, but in the vineyards another story. So I mean, Coachabella, all our wines are vegan certified. We have not, no animal byproducts are used in the vineyards or in the winery, and so I mean that, that's the extreme approach that we're taking. But again, it's it's a lifestyle approach. It's it's a it's a it's a way of living for us. So there, I cannot think of another way. Like that's how it's it's normal for us.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so, uh, talking about your vineyards, so you've got plots between spread between uh, Rada, Greve, and Gaiole. Is that right? Have I got have I got that yes, correct? Yeah, that's right.
3: Yeah, uh,
4: yeah, we, yeah. We've,
1: we've recently we've recently um, also um, we have vineyards up in also in the village of Greve up in Lamole, which is another
4: one of the little villages. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is like a I, and apparently I'm not allowed to say subzone. Apparently that's forbidden. I shouldn't say subzone. It's just it's an uga that happens to be uh, within Greve. Um, we can say anything I, we want I've you dude. Yeah. <laughs> Um Can you characterize the difference? Do you think it's possible to characterize the differences between Rada, Greve and Gaiole?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe there's great difference. I mean, it's I'm very, very fortunate that I don't think there's, well, there isn't another winemaker in, in the Canti Classico who has their own estate grown fruit, farmed the same way, picked, fermented, and followed evolution. Um is part of the reason why I coachabella, but follow it through 14, 16, 18 months. I think there's vast differences. Um I to explain it in a in a in a weird way, like um I I smell in colours and taste in colours my whole life. I <laughs> I the, the the differences between Rada and gaiole for me. When we're tasting the 60 or 70 parcels of wine that we have in a normal vintage, there's vast differences. The Grave for me is, is red, red fruit. It's your textbook Chianti Classico, Cassangiovese characteristics, vibrancies, cherries. it's There's there's lift of the fruit. Italian Wine
3: Podcast, part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp Family.
1: The Rada, the Rada, the fruit starts to to get a little bit darker, but it's not too dark. But it's like a purple or a viola kind of color. The fruit right. profile and and everything that comes with it, maybe a little bit of lavender on the nose, but the, the the tannins change. There's there's a textual component that is very unique in all of our wines from Rada that the Grave fruit don't have, the Gaioli fruit don't have, neither does the Lamole. It's not more tannic, but there's this. Is, is not chewy, but there's a perception of the tannins that, sh- that comes through. The gaiola fruit that we used to have, we've, we've now released the, the land from there, but the gaiola fruit had, had volume and acidity, but like high acidity, even though we're picking the gaiola fruit three or four weeks after the gravy fruit, there was a vibrancy on the fruit, uh, uh, like in a natural acidity with massive volume. The laumale fruit is completely different, 640 meters above sea level, and picked more than a month after the time that we picked the grey fruit or the the 400 to 450 meters above sea level. But there's, there's like a violet and um, it goes blue. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful fruit. The acidity is through the roof, but there is a density like still in the mid-palate that is something very, very unique. And you'll see maybe something you notice in the Canti Classico. A lot of the top producers are all seeking little parcels or pieces of land up in up into the higher altitudes the in, in right across the Canty Classical which the Lamule um, happens to be the highest
4: yeah and so you're allowed under the disciplinare to go up to seven two five meters I can't remember something like that is that about as 70, high as
1: the... I think it's 700 meters in the Canty Classical okay.
4: yeah okay um talking about Violets, you've just reminded me of um, Mammolò as being one of the blending grapes. Um, what's your view of blending grapes? Uh, you know, do, do do you prefer different ones for different plots? You know, would you rather be making all one hundred percent Sangiovese? Do you? How do you feel about caneolo, Chilliagolo? What's your What's your take on you know optimum blends at the moment?
1: I'm I'm a bit of like a, a Sangiovese purist to be quite honest, and yeah. our our agronomist used to say he thinks that that yeah, that I have Sangiovese even though I'm not from here. It's like I have Sangiovese flowing through my veins. Like I'm I'm obsessed with the different expressions of Sangiovese. Uh, at Coachabella, our Chianti Classico is uh, is 100% Sangiovese since my first vintage, so since 2010. The Reserva, which we released, uh, we re-released since 1999. We stopped in 2011. We released the Reserva. Canti uh, Classico is 100% Sangiovese. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit of a purist. I think if you, if you are paying attention to your Sangiovese, the different microclimates, the site, the soil, the terroir, whatever you want to call it, the way that it expresses itself, at least for us, we don't see a necessity to add. Any, I mean, we have other wines that are blends and have different grapes in it, Camartina, etc., um, Turpino. But for us, the the Arcanti Classico is 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 Sangiovese in its purest form. And how yeah. Sangiovese yeah. expresses itself, uh, we're we're very we're, well. We're fortunate. It takes a, bloody, a lot of work to to be fortunate to have vineyards in different villages, different subzones, whatever, different Ugas. So it's it's a phenomenal amount of work, but the expression of the Sangiovese from all of those different sites coming
4: through in our different wines for me is, for us is is very very important. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think it's the pure, purity. Purity surely got to be the, the the way forward for, for greatness. Um, c- continuing on the theme of the of the sites, you know, you you've done have you worked in Barolo, you know, where site terroir is so important and so talked about and documented um what do you think do you think there's a comparison you can draw in your experience looking at barolo looking at chianti classico in terms of terroir do you think do you think they're they're, they're just alike or are there differences in the way that different sites express themselves or the grape expresses itself
1: no, i i think there's definitely definitely a, a connection how there is with nebbiolo how there is with Sangiovese, how there is with uh, Pinot Nero, with Pinot Noir. I think when when they are made right um, and and grown correctly, that they, they, they man, there's something about them that they they speak they speak like how the land, like how the soil, how it tastes the the site, the the the, yeah. the spirit of the place. And and I agree a hundred percent. And it's something that I I mean I've been blessed of to work in Barolo for producers who. I I don't think there's too many winemakers who've worked for two different producers. We have the grapes from the Brunate vineyard in in Lamora, like at Chieto and at Vieti, and two different producers. But the expression of the Brunate vineyard is so distinct that I now I could taste them. Maybe maybe now not no, but in the past I could. And and I think the Chianti Classico, where we are still getting there. I mean, we have the ability to do it. Sangiovese can age for eternity if it's made well, but it has never been done. Whereas the producers in the Barola have, have been doing it for longer. The Chianti Classico, unfortunately, I think, um, the, the the concept, the, the 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 production of the Chianti Classico for many years was mass produced. It's it's I mean, Europe came out of a war. In, in the 40s and in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, they just tried to produce as much as they could. And the mm-hmm. wine quantity went through the roof. The quality was very low down. And and I think, unfortunately, to this day, the consumer still associates the Chianti Classico. They don't even know that there is the Chianti or the Chianti Classico. Or there is yeah. the Reserve or even the Gran Selezione. It's just the prices change. So, I mean, the Chianti Classico region as a whole has been Working very, very, very hard to to arrive at the point where the Barolo producers are at. We know that their Barolo is produced; they are they are great wines. But many people still don't realize, I think, around the world that the Chianti Classico has the ability, the the sight of a La Mole or the sight of a Greve or in Rado or Castellina or whatever has the ability to to speak to you when you when you open the bottle. But it's it's definitely something that I think even with the new. The new president with, uh, with Giovanni Manetti, the Consorzio, is moving in the right direction, which is
4: it's amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, tasting a few older vintages when we did our visit, it's really clear that Chianti Classico, you know, when after a couple of decades is really, really exciting talking now just on the theme of kind of geekiness um, there's about 95 clones of Sangiovese and exist the documented at least maybe do you have a view about clones like do you have strong opinions about picking them do you use massile selection how do you um, you know what's your take on on the, on the different kind of shapes and sizes of sangiovese
1: so so when I so obviously I'm I'm at Quercabella for over a decade now, but most of our vineyards are in their 20-25 year old, and um, a lot of our vineyards. I mean, it's something that's very important at Quercabella. There's clonal variation. I don't think we we don't think it's good to have one clone, one type of clone. I mean, we have such vast changes in altitude, in soil type, in soil potential that we have a number of different clones. Yes, we have some of the Massal selection, some of the older vineyards. Um, we have how you say, CV so CV ten, which is like the Castellinville clone. We have the the um, Chibi cinque, so CB five, which is like the Casabasi, the, the 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 Soldera clones. We have the 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 Lamole clones. Up in Lamole, we have these amazing. <laughs> It's really good for social media. The big, big, beautiful old lamole bunches, mass produce very, very big, gorgeous fruit, which we have to pay a bit of attention to detail in the winery to for for high quality of wine. But um, we have a Cochabella We have the um, the CG um, 76 clone. So slightly smaller bunches, um, more open, more air movement. Uh, tight, yeah, better for. for Higher quality of wine, obviously, small berries, juice concentration, etc. It it depends. Like for us, it's it's very important the different sites. I mean, you can look at the different um, the the root stocks is also very dependent. Mm. Um, but but it's it's variability. You don't want to have one close. The Chianti Classico 2000. I don't know if you're familiar. Like the Chianti Classico 2000 yep. was happening when the producers again, the governing body, the Consortium realized that they needed to improve the quality. Studies were done on different soil types, different clones, different producers. You got the the Canty Classical two thousand clone one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or eight or nine. I don't I know how it's many. Totally
3: seven, right, isn't
1: it? Yeah. seven or eight clones. Um, we have the the clone five is working very well in some of our vineyards. The clone one is working very well. Um, which I th- the clone five I think is similar to the CG seventy six that we have. So yeah, lots of differences, but at the end of the day, you you want variability. You don't just want one expression of one site some are better with freshness some are better with concentration it's it's not just uh i i really believe that more more is better
4: Ah, that's really interesting because i would say perhaps you know barolo barbaresco is the opposite direction people tend to land on you know CVT 71 or CN111 that's those are their favorites whereas you're saying diversity is better um, and the Chianti Classico 2000 project you know for anyone listening who doesn't know about it is worth reading up on it's just an incredible project that Consortzio did i guess all the way back in the would have been the early 90s maybe they started or in the 80s even um, I think
1: like, I think in the yeah. late 80s early 90s yeah. yeah
4: yeah and then they set they set out you know systematically to make it better better understood, and and you en, ended up with eight different clones of of San called each named CCL two thousand one, CCL two thousand two, and so on. But that the result of this research. So they're now like they they kind of uh, identified that you know the best possible clones. Um, and anyway, anyway, I'm just I'm conscious of time, and we better crack on. Um, blah, 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 what? Let's skip. On to, uh, you've talked about the vineyard, I think. Let's talk about the cellar. How do you think Sangiovese works best in the, in the cellar? I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'd rather not be aware of any oak at all, but I, I'd have to say that Sangiovese does, I've found, responds really well to the judicious use of smaller wood. What, what's your view?
1: Yeah, I think like depends on the expression of the Sangiovese. Sangiovese definitely benefits from oak. It needs time in in for its integration, for the tendons to come right, etc. Um, we we've had a big uh, movement at Quercabella where we've been we've been finding the larger volume has been working better for the expression of the site. So you you reduce the surface area to volume, you still are getting the integration, you're still getting all of the the geeky wine chemistry stuff, the polymerization, the tannins, the colors, are getting the stability? But you, I mean, we're everything is medium toast. I I even like I can spend three hours talking about barrels because I'm I get called like a mad scientist. The the tightness of the grain, the seasoning of the oak. Uh, I we are I'm very 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 specific. Um, we are very very specific about how we choose the oak. For, for the wines, I'm I'm very fortunate I get to go over to France to the Coopridges. It's a couple of hours' drive and you're in Burgundy from here, so we get to go so over I mean, there and visit them.
4: And you're always using French is French oak, not Slavonian? All French oak, 100%
1: French oh, okay. oak, yeah. Okay, fine. And then yeah,
4: sizes, okay. sizes. you're going from barrique to tonne to botti? or
1: Exactly that, yeah. A v- very small quantity. We have… Uh, mostly our, like the Cabernet is in the Merlot is going into barrels, uh, San Gervaisi, some vineyards always going, I I think the Rada benefits from at least six to eight, six to nine months in barrel before going into the Bote, but we don't have the that we have the, we call them Bote Grande, but they are 30 hectares, so uh, 3,000 liters. So they're not that big, but still they're bigger than a, than a barrel. But yeah, yeah. Five, 500 liters is working really well with our Chianti
4: class. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, uh, there's plenty of other wines that I've tasted where 500 liters is intrusive. Um, and yet I think with the Chianti Classico, it, 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 it blends, blends in really nicely. It's not, it's not, it's not too noticeable. Um, it needs, to be, it needs to
1: be, I think it needs to be at least 30 months seasoning of the oak. When they make the barrel, they must leave the wood in their yard for at least 30 months. So it doesn't, give tannin to the wine it doesn't give structure it's more about volume and growing the mid palate as opposed to giving to the wine i think that's very important if you're using a larger one oh, okay. yes yes
4: yes okay got it um just thinking now about uh, gran grand selezione what you know tell us a bit about what what you know your understanding of the reason for the introduction of the category and then, you know, your one, was it the first vintage now you've just released? Am I right about that? You, yeah, it's yeah. just released? Yeah. Okay. Tell us a bit about why you've only now got into it. And you, what are you trying to achieve with this wine, which, you know, is not cheap, <laughs> I would have to say, you know, amongst the premium Grand Selecciones on the market. Quote, Gibella's kind of shooting, you know, at the top end there. Tell us about about. Tell us about that.
1: Oh, sure. So, so the Grand Selezione came along in in two, the um, the consortium, the governing body released the, the the concept came out in 2013 or 2014, and Quercibella, um, it kind of the the well for everyone there there was a little bit of confusion at the time. It was supposed to be the tip of the pyramid, uh, so quality wise, uh, the highest quality, the lower quantity. It had to be from grapes that the producer owned or, or the state owned, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera. part of the reason why I'm at was to produce a wine of that quality. When I arrived in 2010, we started to vinify all of the different subzones, the different villages separately, and uh, we've actually been bottling a single village, Sanjubesi since 2010, Greve, oh. Rada, Gaiole. We've bottled 2010, 11, 12, 13... 15, 16, 17, 18, um, following its evolution. So the Grand Selezione for us, there, there was a there was a bit of confusion, but um, the reason why it almost took us so long was we have always wanted to be able to release a wine that was Quachabella made in Greve, roughly, with the wineries. Quachabella in Rada. Quachabella until we had in Gaiola. Quachabella now in Lamole. Up until... Two or three years ago, that wasn't a possibility. Legally, you have to write where the wine is bottled on the back of the label. We're not allowed to put in writing big across label Radda. Now the consortium has been moving in this direction. You have the Ugas. We have the possibility to do it. Around the same time, our 2017, our best parcel from our high-altitude vineyards in Greve, we tasted it. We believed it was of exceptional quality we've been going back constantly tasting all of the previous vintages since i've been here at qcibella and the 17 was the right moment was the right time the the, the governing body the consorzio was moving in the right direction the quality has improved in the grand selezione uh, category in the beginning oh. it was to say it politely <laughs> there was some stuff that it maybe wasn't the, the best of the best in the from in from the from the, from the, from the, the classical region now they've become a lot stricter. There's tasting commissions. There's it's the the quality is there and um Coachabella thought for the first finally we believe that our 2017 was the right time. So we released the 2017 in um at vinet or well, the at the first tasting was at the the County Classical Collection in February this year and is sold out before July. So small oh, wow, quantity.
3: So
1: yeah, yeah, tiny quantity. Um but yeah we've we've now we are in the process we will the 2018 Gran Selezione is will go on the market in January and it's pretty much all kind of allocated so I mean we're we're, we're it's a small quantity it's a tip of for us it's small tiny quantity uh, two to four thousand bottles for now um, all from Greve because as of today we are still not able to release the Cochabella from Rad da from uh, the Lamole Lamole is still a bit confusing we need to wait three more years at least until once the people in Rome uh, they make yeah, the so team you right.
4: you waiting, still... waiting on the... it's the government isn't it you couldn't yeah. you, before you can say vigna on the front you actually need uh, the feds to give you the sign off
1: you spend your, you spend a lot of time a lot of your life in italy
4: waiting for government people to decide things so. <laughs> okay cool um Uh, We've just got a few more minutes to go, and we need to talk uh, about non Chianti Classico things for a minute. We list, we started listing your white wine, Batar, about, oh God, about a year ago in Ateca de Luca, and it is, I have to say, an absolute staff favorite. They love love drinking it when they can, and they love it's not a cheap wine, um, and they love selling it too. can you tell us a bit about uh, how that wine came to be? There was a little bit of controversy, I think, when it was first launched. Tell us a bit about Batar.
1: Yeah, so Batar is is something that is incredibly, to this day, uh, unique for us as a as a Canty classical producer pro- to be producing a uh, how you say a serious style of 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 a white wine. I mean, it's red wine country. People drink red and eat red, so it's it's very unique and and I can only imagine in in 1988 when the first vintage was released, it must have been very very confusing for a lot of people in the valley. Um, I mean the first vintage was was kind of um almost made for fun. I mean it was it was 100% uh, Pinot Bianco. It was uh made from, depending on who you ask, <laughs> I've been told so many different versions of the story abandoned vineyard above the winery, below the winery, next to the villa. But at the end of the day, <laughs> there were some some old Pinot Bianco vines that were growing there. Um, on the label, it says how many bottles? Just over 300 bottles. So basically, a barrel a barrel of white wine was was fermented and 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 released. And um, first vintage 1988, and it was the wine was called. Bâtard Pinot so bâtard written as in with the d as obviously bâtard uh, Montrachet one of the most famous historical um wine wine vineyards on earth and um the first couple of vintages it was it was 100% pinot bianco and this is wine that was passed around um through I mean the family's friends and um, wine couple of wine writers uh, Luigi Veronelli, people got their hands in it and it it was something so unique and so different that people were, were blown away by it in the 1992 or 1993 a little bit of chardonnay was added to the blend and the wine was was literally labeled as a batard just so like batard with the D um for the next two or three years. And I've again heard different versions of the story, but let's just say that the the French um the French weren't so happy that a little producer in the Canti Classico was stealing their most sacred piece of land and I've heard noise <laughs> letters and I've heard French people pitching up the winery. I've heard all sorts, but they
3: Brilliant. they weren't happy.
1: So Cochabala yeah. what, what we did what what they did was um they, they took away the D they put the accent on the A. It's uh, still pronounced "the Batar." It still has the same meaning in the Milanese dialect where the family's from. It's still the 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 bastard son, the the illegitimate son, whatever. Um, we registered the name, so it's ours. So the Frenchies can. Can't do anything about it. And um, yeah, the name stuck <laughs> like that ever since. But it's, it's, it's many, I mean, I take it when I go to Burgundy and I have drunken <laughs> nights with the French producers and the, you wind them up. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it, 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 was, uh, it was more a case of paying homage to a site. Like, hopefully, one day we could achieve white wine greatness. And that's what we're striving for still to this day. We're just, that's the goal with the Batar. Can we achieve greatness? for white wine in what is considered a red wine only region so it's, yeah, it's well, very thought, special wine
4: there was a lovely financial times uh, financial times write up that called it i think tuscany's greatest white wine so i think uh, i think you, you you you've made it um okay we have got just 5 more minutes to go um let's talk about your super tuscans so camartina and palafreno tell us about those two wines please
1: so yeah i mean the like we touched on earlier, the 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 goal of the winery uh, when when the family the family from Milano came down to Tuscany, which must have been a big deal back in the days, because it's still a big deal today. The Tuscans, etc., are, are quite a close bunch here. Um, but it was to produce a wine of that quality, the Tinanello, Sassicaia, um, the, these big producers, the Flaccinello, They were they were yeah. starting to make a bit of noise around the world and. The goal with Camartina was always to produce that wine of exceptional quality. Um, at the time, it was it was outside of the Chianti Classico um, regime because there was more Cabernet Sauvignon. Even though it was predominantly Sangiovese, there was a lot of Cabernet in it. Today, our Camartina is predominantly uh, Cabernet Sauvignon with Sangiovese, all from the high-altitude vineyards of Ruffoli of a Graving Chianti, where the winery is situated. So we are part of the original 22 or 23 um, historical uh, Canty classical Super Tuscan producers. So it, it's something that it's 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 definitely not a new wine for us. The reinvention of it. I mean, since 1999 up until 2003, it became Cabernet based, but we've always the the goal at Cochabella was always to produce wines of camartina quality. Palefreno, 100% Merlot, Merlot. It's a bloody nightmare to grow around these parts with the climate changing and things getting harder and harder.
4: We don't release it every you, year. You just sorry. You just mean hotter and hotter. It becomes impossible to control the alcohol and the and the sweetness. You mean or or and, difficult to refrain.
1: Merlot suffers from hydric stress, so it's very challenging. There's no irrigation allowed in the Classico so it's very challenging in the dry seasons. Right,
4: right, right, right. right okay. So you yep. now move. You're trying to find higher, higher. Spots for it, or how are you coping yeah, with
1: we, that? We, we have Merlot planted at 590, 580 meters above sea level. So, yeah, we, we have to be a bit more attentive to in the vineyards, obviously, um, in the winemaking, cooler ferments, uh, picking. Getting, getting the picking right with Merlot is becoming more and more challenging for, for everyone in Tuscany. You'll, maybe you Maybe you notice, I don't know, we definitely notice people are talking a lot more about Tuscan Cabernet Franc. Or Cabernet Sauvignon than they are talking about Tuscan Molos these days. And I think it's a fact that it's becoming really, really hard to produce it consistently year right. in, year right. out. I think it's, or I, we find it hard at least. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I don't think we encountered that much um, Cabernet Franc when we were out there. I I think of it more as kind of a bulgary thing. So that's interesting. You, You think it might have. Do you think it's going to grow the amount of Cabernet Sauvignon? Increase the amount of Cabernet Sauvignon, or, or no? Probably people that are still focused on Sangiovese, You know that'll be there, unless it's hist- no one. No one's ripping out Sangiovese to put in Cabernet Franc.
1: No one, no one's yet. But I think you'll find people are going to start ripping out their Merlot vineyards that you don't know about and putting in <laughs> other, other, <laughs> other other varieties. There's a lot of Merlot. There's a lot of producers who put Merlot in the Canty Classical, and that, that, that's great. I have no problem with that. But uh, it's is becoming more and more challenging to produce Merlot of the highest, highest level. Um, and it's um, in Tuscany, Chianti Classico, Tuscany, right across it. The, 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 the climatic conditions, which we haven't really spoken about today, it's, it, it, it's harder. San Sangiovese seems to almost ride it out. This year, we had an incredibly dry year, absence of rain. I mean, we've got five mils of rain, seven mils of rain in two months, tiny amounts of oh, rain. Yeah. The Sangiovese Gervais- was fine we we in july we had nine in june we had nine days more than 35 degrees in july we had 21 days more than 35 degrees this year 2022 sangiovese we we were lucky in august we got 88 mils of rain so the vintage (laughs) everyone always says i speak about miracles this year we did get a bloody miracle it was unbelievable the rain we got in august saved the vintage the Sangiovese mm. was 100% fine. It flourished. The Merlot is still struggled. So the Sangiovese, Sangiovese has been growing here on the hillsides for hundreds of years. Uh, it works well. Um, the the it's it was challenging like this year. No matter what anyone says to you, this year was we had our concerns. We went on holiday in July, and the the forests were starting to change color, uh, like autumn colors. Uh, mm. Luckily, our vines were looking good and flourishing, but it was. Was the show was
4: was challenging? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's scary to think of of years ahead. Um, listen, it is. We our hour is up. Um. Thank you so much. Uh, Stevie, I don't know if you want to jump back in. Yeah,
2: um, this is where I used to – I usually do my special effect of, like, you know, audience clapping, but I don't have the roadmaster with me. So Um, thank you so much. That was so fabulous, Manfred and Matt, both of you. Yeah, I love listening to both of you. It was extremely, extremely – Interesting. I just, just a couple of quick questions for you, Manfred. You said you, I love the fact that you smell and taste in colors. You said greve was red fruit, rada is a bit darker, like viola. Um, um, but what, what are the colors? I, I missed it. Gaiole and Lamole. What colors are those?
1: Gaiole, wow. Um, Gaiole, I have to close my eyes while I'm saying, Gaiole goes blue, like blue for me. Ah, like, uh, really? Like, um, Mm. yeah like the gaiole fruit that we that we used to have it, it the even the parcels of fruit there is there the, it's not black it's not a darkness like completely dark but it's darker than Greve and definitely darker the 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 Lamale fruit is like is like the color of the Jajola. the the there is the the iris that is grown mm-hmm. up in Lamole and maybe it's because I'm <laughs> I live in Lamole I, I, but for me the Laomole fruit, when you smell it and you taste it, the the great Lamole wine. There's lots of small little producers in, in Lamole, and and the, there's there the the texture changes in the Lamole for sure compared to Radegayole, but the fruit expression is is very 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 unique. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know something about Lamole because presumably I am the official Lamolese DOCG for this year, which is kind of funny. They gave me this Jajole um, trophy
3: nearly killed me
2: on the train, but it... um, I was
3: standing,
1: I was standing, I I live in La Mole, I was standing about five meters behind you when you received
2: that, in (laughs) in the the Piazza,
1: in the Piazza of That was,
2: that was so amazing, that was crazy, you know, there were like nine producers in this tiny, tiny, you know, borgo uh, of, you know, 80 um, inhabitants, nine wine producers, I love that
1: my family we we, contrib- we contribute four people to those 80
2: <laughs> that's fantastic listen just one last thing can you just give us some numbers to contextualize number of labels and the production volume so that you know for for us to understand
1: sure so in Total production now, we're, we're around just over 400,000 bottles. So I don't know if like divided into 12 bottle cases or six mm-hmm. or whatever, but yeah, 400,000 in total. Um, our Canti Classico is around 160 to 170,000 bottles in the Maremma. Our simplest expression, Mongrana, is between a 100 and 120,000. And then the rest of our wines, Camartina, is uh, 10 to 12, so l- less than 10,000 bottles. Batar, our white wine, is depending on the season, 16 to 20,000 bottles. And then Palafreno, small quantity, 12 barrels is like a, a 3,400 bottles. And then bits and bobs in between them, um, Moncarano Bianco. Okay, uh,
2: very good. So listen, so how many labels in total?
1: I just have to count. Uh, oh, like eight um, commercially available labels, I guess. Right. Um, right. And then private labels and that kind of extra right. stuff. We do also, but yeah. Okay, that's
2: fantastic. Thank you so much, Manfred and uh, Matt. Thanks again, everybody. Laika, would you like to say something? Laika, of course, is our clubhouse manager. She does tons of work so that this can actually happen every week.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. It's holidays. Yeah, um, you know, thanks,
2: thanks Laika. Yeah, I don't have a life. Okay, I
3: know. I'm sorry. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, next week uh, we've got Valentina. She's actually one of the audience here. So, yes, okay. ciao, Valentina. Ciao, Valentina. So, she's going to be interviewing Simone Foti. Uh, I think they met during one of the GTAs called After National. Excellent.
2: Yeah. All right, you guys, listen, happy holidays to everybody. And I hope to see you all soon. Thank you very yeah, much. Ciao, thanks so,
4: thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, and you're always all oh, welcome. Thank to you.
4: Grazie. Ciao, ragazzi.
0: Bye.